Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 27 of Pounding the Table. Since there are a lot of new folks that are joining us each week, we're going to start off just sharing what we'll be talking about each episode, uh, and then we'll, of course, we'll get into it. So this week, we're going to be talking about rates and what is actually going on in the market. The week ahead, we have some great questions from the audience. We're going to even go live here just for a few. We have three SPAC management teams without targets that we'll be introducing We'll be touching on crypto and a whole lot more. And we got to talk about crypto now. It's it's what anyone is, and everyone is talking about, especially NFTs, Ethereum, Bitcoin. You just, you got to love it, right? So either way, for those of you who are new to Pounding the Table, it's a podcast with me and Avi Mash, where we talk about the stock market, the art of options trading. And we like to analyze the news and provide our insights and opinions around how we think the markets are going to be impacted. And a quick disclaimer here to keep it going. The thoughts on this podcast are, of course, purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments and everything said on every episode of pounding the table as well as our twitter accounts are not and should never be used as financial advice recommendations or solicitations but we're underway and i do mean underway i wonder why fund managers can't beat the s p 500 because they're sheep and sheep get slaughtered because I know more than anybody. Cold winter has apparently not affected the orange carpet. Freaking excited! I am excited to be back as well, Tony. We're feeling much better. Me physically, I had corona yeah. last week, uh, and, and mentally as well. I know we had a lot of emotions. While I had COVID, the past two weeks were absolutely insane, horrible. Uh, and last week, of course, we came back. So I'm feeling a lot better. Everyone's kind of feeling good. I know we have a big week coming up. Your boy, High Yield 6, he brought up a good oh, yeah. point, right? So Wednesday, we have a huge Fed meeting. We also have the VIX expiring and Quad Witch happening this week. So, Tony, can you just talk to us a little bit about kind of what you're going to expect here for this week? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have been factoring this in for the last coming weeks. Like, you've got people who are never, ever looking at what quad witch is or VIX and this and that. And now people are all about it because the markets become more to do with real things that are impacting the macro economy, right? It's like before our biggest issue was figuring out which name is going to run the most within the next three or four months. Now it's figuring out which entire sector is going to run or dive which entire specific niche industry is going to perform well, what type of valuations will do well in a potentially valuation compression market, this and that. Basically, what he's saying is that this week's going to be tough for anyone, right? It's going to put mm -hmm. some hair on your chest, right? Every time we talk about quad witching, you know that it's just another word synonymously with basically just like diddle, right? Like there's yeah, going to be gonna things. Ask. Is, is yeah, that, is that yeah. like a hocus pocus with four witches or what, what is quad witching? So basically like there are a bunch of different contracts. You've got futures contracts, you've got monthly options contracts, you've got weekly contracts. There's so many of these different contracts that people have to manage at some point, right? Like let's say that you're long the S&P 500 futures. This is the date where these expire. So you have to sell these and then buy the one roll out to the next quarter, right? So that's the big part of it, right? SPX roll. So they do that for the indices. And then a lot of options on stocks only have expiration once a month, right? So a lot of the names, and it's always the third week of the month, pretty much. So third week quad witching of that quarter, which is at mm -hmm. the end of the, you know, the three months of the end of the quarter. It's the last month that this happens. 
And every time people are always, you know, freaking out and stuff. So I've seen it go really, really nicely. Sometimes I've seen it go really, really poorly. Sometimes SPX role is just a question of what people are thinking for the next three months. So you're using this time to position yourself in new positions because your options and your futures contracts and this and that are expiring. Um, the VIX has been going nuts, by the way. Like, I mean, it's just been going insane. Luckily, it trailed off a bit last last week once the 10 year came down, but then of course the 10 year came back up. So people are looking at things and it's not really correlating exactly one-to-one. So now we're having to look into all the different things. So we have the Fed meeting and I know HY was talking about like we can rip into the Fed meeting and then on the Fed meeting, we will die for a while until the next one. So basically what he's saying is that you're going to have to roll over all these contracts and people will be doing stuff like pinning stocks at certain round numbers. People will be doing stuff like trying to catch the volatility and options in one way or the other. Uh, so like, you know, if super, super high put premium, usually people don't want to pay that, right? So they'll jack the market up or super, super, super high call premium. And the market makers don't want to pay that. And then it goes down. So that's just for the normal stocks, of course. But then futures have something to do with that too, because there are all the contracts trading for this month that have to go to the next quarter. And that just for people that it kind of leaves the market in, in, a, in a limbo, right? So it can move up or down based on those actions. And the following week, you'll see what happens. But I'm really curious to see what the Fed said. Mm-hmm. I did know, you know, Powell came on was a week or two ago when things were getting pretty bad. And, and he did make the market go down. But of course, the double Powell reverse action always is, you know, whatever happens the first day he talks, the opposite happens. And then we rallied from the second day. So Am I bearish after this meeting? I think I need to see the reaction first. But I do think a ton of the people who were just up to their gills levered in these high names have gotten cut out. And I think that with the high level of short interest, the high level of oversold, like I would say that we're going to be basing and moving a little higher at least. Mm. And I think valuations will start to catch up with some of these names the longer this progresses because the 10 year is only at the 10 year is at 1.6, which is like the highest it was in all of this, which caused the crash. And the NASDAQs were traced about half the highs. Right. Uh, of the loss. So, so question, a question about rates there, right? So like I, I know over the course of the past few months when we've been talking, you know, things used to matter, like jobs reports. We feel like those have very little impact nowadays. Like then it became rates is like the number one main important thing. So, you know, on this Fed meeting, are rates, I guess, massive for you still? And is that the main thing you'll be watching here? I think people need to understand a discrepancy in the way that they're thinking about rates, right? There are the Fed, there's the Fed fund rate. So that overnight is where the Fed will lend money out to the Federal Reserve Banks and then the people who are in that banking network to do banking transactions, right? You, it's an overnight loan at X percent, right? And, and then a big part about that is banks are supposed to have a certain amount of cash reserve and, and things have gotten a lot less strict because of the uh, pandemic and because now we wanted to be in expansionary mode. The Fed is not the ones that are going to be the taperers right now. Mm-hmm. So I think what it is, is you're seeing the standard market impact yields like bond yields, which is still theoretically an interest rate because that's like a huge percentage of all of the assets in the US, right? It's not It's not about them raising rates to make it a contractionary environment in the 10 year or this and that. that, that that's not necessarily related. Like they should theoretically follow over time. If the 10 year yield is like 1.6 or two, the Fed fund rate should not be zero. But once again, the Fed is the ones that are taking the brunt of this and letting us continue to be expansionary while the regular market participants are over expecting the bringing back of the economy, which is why rates are going higher. And you see, you know, cyclicals, banks, these things are doing much, much better than our growth and tech names once again, but still not since levels seen like a month ago. So the truth is like everyone's so bullish on oil. I will tell you right now, we can mark this, cut this out in five, 10 years. Oil will be zero before I'm 50. Done. 
I don't even care. I, it's not a discussion. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Like solar panels, wind power. What happens when we create a new energy source in the next five to 10 years that just gives us 20 times more power than solar? You have no That's idea what's going to happen. 40 years from now too. So, you know, when you're 50, you know. Yeah, but people are buying this with the long-term five to 10 year. Exactly. When I'm 50, do you have any idea what the world's going to be? I have no clue and it's exciting. So that, that's that. the kind of thing that I don't know why people are, you know, long-term deeply investing in these things that I get they're getting this bump from rates. I get that they're getting this bump from the economy getting better and better. But what do you think is going to happen? Like, do you really think that you're ever going to get Exxon trading at 30, 40 times sales? Like, I don't think so. And it never should be because it'll go to zero. We also got the stimmy stimulus. That's a trendy way to say that, folks. Uh, right. That's coming up, too. Do you think that's going to have an impact? I mean, this one's this one's pretty big, Tony. Yeah, I mean, the st stimulus like that's very impactful for the stocks that are like, you've noticed the Dow actually went to all-time highs last week. The S&P 500 is essentially, it might have broken out over all-time highs, but it's there. It's like right there. Mm -hmm. I don't think it closed there, but it was right there the other day. And the NASDAQ is still 1,200 points off highs, right? So almost 10%. So like the way that I think about that is though that stimmy is what led to the rates starting to tick up is in and, and or the yields sorry i'll be more clear just to not confuse people but the 10-year yield mm -hmm. that's why those things went up people were expecting the economy reopening because of these vaccinations and everything but what do you think the stimmy check is going to do first of all i think that it'll be the same result like you probably get another game squeeze amc's type of squeeze when people mm -hmm. are like some people are going to robin hood yellow that for sure but i don't know I, th I would like to think that the wall street bets crew like when i started trading i used to be investing in like weed penny stocks but like as you grow and mature and you realize that that's not the successful way for long-term gains you mature people just grow and progress over time so i'm hoping that the yolo wall street bets crowd will become more mature as investors and start picking better companies to invest in and, mm -hmm. and enough of yolo because that's the volatility that's like creating really crazy gains for some people but also wiping some people out yeah. Well, and I think that we were talking about this uh, a little bit earlier. I was like, I was starting to look at Amazon, you know, Facebook, these things have been basing. Those are typically more expensive stocks. And I say that with quotes because we talked about this a while back that people just have this misconception of the cost of the actual share is what that market cap is. Right. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, taking a look at like something like Apple though, maybe some of these people are getting these $1,400 checks and saying, okay, I could buy 10 Apple shares roughly. Right. And so there is that dichotomy in, in terms of where some folks that $1,400 is not going to have an impact whatsoever. Right. For some people yeah. that's going to change. That's going to put food on the table for their families. The table. Other folks, you know, there are those Wall Street betters that are going to come into AMC's, the the GM, uh, GameStops of the worlds, et cetera. So that'll be interesting yeah, to watch here. I totally think that that's cool. I mean, like this guy, Mike, uh, on Twitter asked, you know, back to the basics, reinforce what core names you view as the leaders for the next few years in this choppy market. Mm -hmm. So I, I think for me, it's time to talk about the heads of the table. For me, it's a starting place of a portfolio because you just mentioned Apple, Google, you know, Amazon, Netflix, Facebook, Tesla's different, but Tesla's starting to get to that place too. Right. It's, these companies, I have no way to disagree with you that they're not great companies. That's already a given. And for me, that means I'm out, right? I don't like to bet on sure things. I like to make things sure. Like, I think it's hard for me to look at Apple and say, that's a good stock to hold for years. I, it's hard for me to look at like, it's, and I know Amazon will do well. I know Apple will do well. I know Google will do well. That's the but, opportunity cost of capital. You always right, that, that is the, ascent, the essence of it. And I think that, you know, the reason we have the heads of the table is that there's a cycle between that, right? Like mm -hmm. you think about, you know, the people who are really, really popular at certain times in history, right? Like you've got the 1800 class, the 1900 class, the 2000s, like 
you have different people marking different points in history. You have different companies marking different points in history. And mm-hmm. I think that those companies, the FANG or whatever, the extra letters that people have added on because there's you know five other ones in it now that they've considered the same. Yeah. These heads of the table have the potential to do that in the future. So I love buying back into things that I'm sure about, right? Like C-Limited, you know, I've talked about this like 20 times in the last week because I'm mind blown mm-hmm. at how well they've executed the plan that I predicted that they would do, that they would be doing five or six different legs versus just three. Like, you know, they were being a mini Tencent and they literally did that by adding C-Capital and uh, C-AI Insight. So that for me is exactly what I need to be like, man, I don't care. It's a hundred billion, but like that is a trillion dollar company in the making without mm-hmm. any shred of doubt in my mind personally. So for me, like that's what I'm looking for in terms of like the leaders for the next few years. Mm-hmm. This thing is conquering everything, right? Like, do I think that Etsy will continue to thrive? Yeah, I think Etsy will continue to thrive. The idea of Fiverr just lends itself to a better future of, you know, people being more and more at home freelance. Like the fact that you and I are recording this like on Zoom right now means that there are things that you and I can access easily at home versus going out and going to an apartment to meet with a designer or a studio person. Mm. It's just facilitation. It's peak life optimization. It's like, those are the reasons why they become the heads of the table. Mm-hmm. You know, T-Doc, I get it. I get what people are like valuation, this and that. And then it sold off because of vaccinations. But if you think that we're not all going to be on T-Doc or a derivative of it or a competitor, right. you don't know the future. We hundred percent will be, and we'll all be connected to SEMA4 and, and Invitae and we'll be having our genomics Every, every it's all going to be the, the connected i'm in the e-commerce world for for my day job right and, and i see what a lot of companies are talking about i saw firsthand i just went to bed bath and beyond 10 blocks away from myself in new york and instead of carrying that package back i said just ship it right and so i think right yeah and, and you and, and you went there right and, and that's an extreme there. example right but the reality is like why not ship something home? You know, and, and so it's going to be very interesting. I was talking about like stamps.com. I won't go too far into that, but that one's kind of an interesting play to kind of keep an eye out for. But coming back to the heads of the table, for those of you guys who are not aware or just tuning in kind of for the first time, uh, we created this Pounders Bible and the heads of the table were kind of the top five, six stocks that we liked in 2020 that we're going to continue to pound here in 2021. Uh, one that you hadn't mentioned that was at the head of the table that I find really fascinating, especially with what's going on in crypto and in Bitcoin that we'll be discussing here a little bit later, but Square, right? Square was at 221 yeah. at the start of the yep. year. It's 242. Bitcoin's going nuts right now. So how big of an impact do you think that has here for Square and why you're still pounding it here yeah. in 2021? Yeah. So, okay. So this is like a really cool thing about heads of the table they're such badasses that they can start becoming different companies, right? Right. Like when people are investing in smaller five, $10 billion market cap companies, they're not investing in multiple legs to stand on. You're betting that their first idea works, right? What about a company who's had five ideas, crushed all five and says, all right, screw it. Like it's all gravy at this point. Let's take over the damn world. That's what these guys are doing. Like Square is trying to be that one-stop shop payment processing. And they're not being shy about trying to incorporate cryptocurrency. In fact, they just bought Title, right? Like everyone knows that that's an NFT play. And we'll just see what ends up happening with that. So mm-hmm. in my opinion, like if you're not moving into that kind of stuff, like I know there's a lot of Bitcoin bears, right? Yeah. And this and that, you're wrong. I don't care. It's over. Like you can, you're done. You're done. It's over. Hang up your hat. Go buy some CDs. It's over. It's 100%. No question in my mind. So that's the thing is like, if you're not betting on the future, you are in the past, my friend. Mm-hmm. So I sold out of Square, but 
I do like that it's like holding its own so well. It's way less more volatile than like the other high growth, high yielding stocks. And so like, I'll probably get back into Square because of the fact that I see what if they just start making like the best NFT marketplaces and this and that. And now you can, you know, add stocks through Cash App. Yeah. It's just, they're doing all the right stuff. And I can't see them not taking them. over a bunch of other people's lunch, like PayPal. Like, why wouldn't they? Yeah. So I need to start a business. Also, like, what about like, is this a reopening play? Like they, they work with a ton of right. SMBs that people are going to now start flocking back to stores here in the next couple of mm. months. Everyone's going to have these vaccines. They work. Right. My fiance has a vaccine. We stay in the same bed in the same apartment. She didn't get sick. And so that was really cool. I'm not saying they can work for everyone, but firsthand, I can see that these things do work. And so that gives me optimism, I guess, as we reopen the country here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's for all those SMBs. It's also just like you you be surprised how much retail is just not doing anything through those like physical transactions right now. Mm-hmm. Like while like Square is definitely still killing it on these like online payments and Cash App and you know the fact they're adding the the Bitcoin the the buying and selling stocks. So they're doing a bunch of innovative things. And now once we reopen, like half of their business is hardware. So for right. people to sell off Square means that they don't know anything about anything. And yeah. that's blo- mind blowing to me because do you know how many Square readers and how many Square kiosks are all over the country? And as soon as retail opens back up fully, and I mean, it's really already starting to open back up, you'll see that reflected in their earnings. And mm-hmm. on top of that, they've not only dominated like the software part of it, where they're, you know, the online presence, the digitization presence, they've murdered that during the pandemic. And now, when they open back up, you don't think that their products and their services that they're really going to be pushing out to retail consumers in the retail spaces for business will be better. Mm -hmm. I think you'll be surprised that you're going to start to be able to buy and sell stuff with Ethereum and Bitcoin using a square reader. Yeah. Let's, let's switch gears here to go to SC for a minute. And I'll, for the folks that are watching here on YouTube now, this is our our new channel. Let me pull up something very quickly and, and paint the picture for those listening on Apple Music or on, oh, yeah. on uh, Spotify here. But this is an amazing graph here. It's look, taking a look at uh, Mercado Libre and Shopee, which is SE in Brazil. You made this prediction and we saw this actually happen. And now they're dominating huh? Brazil. So talk to us a little bit here about why you're yeah. absolutely re-in love here with SE again. I'm not only re-in love with SE, but Mealy is out. I'm done. I'll never buy it again. And there's a reason for it. And you, know, you say, oh, you said you were holding it forever. Bring it on, man. I like that because the only thing that can make you change your opinion is new information. And if you don't change your opinion to new information, you never had conviction in the first place. You didn't know what you were doing. Mm. So while I said Mealy will go to 5,000, what is it when a head of the table takes out another head of the table? Do they get two seats at the table? Because SC deserves two seats. So I guess I'll only ever push out a head of the table for another head of the table. But if you look at Shopee here, right, like, and it's insane, like in, in Brazil, right, they're the number one shopping app, second free overall app, getting more and more popular. Mercado Libre is five and number 23, respectively. So it's absolutely insane to see that, right? Like, and you see Brazil's shopping app monthly users mm-hmm. over the month has gone up to 35 million from October. And that's actually higher MAU than the other, all the other ones. Like that includes like Mealy, BTW, Magazine, and Alibaba just in Brazil. They're just crushing nonstop. It's it's unbelievable, obviously. So how do I say, like, 
Mealy's been there for 20 years. Essie's been there for less than a year. And Essie is dominating and eating their lunch, right? If that doesn't change your perspective on what to invest in, you didn't invest in the right way in the first place, right? The whole mm. point of why we bought Mercado Libre, like why I purchased it, was to think that they would be the ones that dominate Latin America overall. Right. But if Essie just comes in there nonchalantly and goes out there and gets first place in every category, pretty much, if not, whatever, they're three, four, five, they shouldn't even be top 10 for how new they are. They are crushing so, so hard that it makes me say, Mealy, what are you doing? You're dead to me. So that's how it is. And that's take how I'm feeling because, yeah, take them out back. It's old yeller time. And and I bought Mealy at 550 when I first bought it, right? Like I was late to the Mealy party. I just, I found it, right? Like I was, it was a different good type to of trade. It was a good to you. And, 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 and I was yeah. talking to you before the show, like, I'd say we put it in the silence, send it to the kids' table for a little bit. Yeah, he's uh, on the kids' table. But they may be well, – let's keep an eye on them. They may be able to come back here, but I, I, I do see what you're saying here. With I mean, I've never insane. seen this kind of change. It's it's absolutely shocking. And and we mentioned this. We're saying any market – I remember saying this word for word. Any market SE gets into, it will dominate and be first no matter what. Mm-hmm. This is happening. How am I going to be stubborn and not understand and agree with what I've already predicted when it's happening? I got to, like, unpound mealy. And double, triple, quadruple pound SE. That's all. Yeah. So let's jump into the bonsai. I know this has been kind of like a hit and and a great thought process of how to manage your portfolio, right? And so Mm -hmm. we talked about the heads of the table. You want to have that big, strong base of the bonsai, right? And then as things start to get out of control, you trim a little bit, right? So in terms of your portfolio construction, we have Dan at Dan Dubai at 22. I'm very bad at this. They're asking what percentage of long-term versus short-term, how much cash, what's the options versus shares versus warrants. Uh, and then I'm going to combine this here with A. John V at Kebab John 91. It's getting to be lunchtime too. I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> but they're asking, you know, how do you save up here for buying future dips? When do you compound your highest conviction? So just talk to a little bit of, again, for some of the newer folks, just how mm-hmm. you kind of take a look at your bonsai here. Yeah, I mean, the bonsai comes into play so much more when there's volatility in the markets, right? And I realize, I guess, the main starting point, the main key is understanding the optionality of having some choice. Because when you're like, I know I probably piss off a lot of people talking about investing the way I do, but at the end of the day, it's just math and numbers and I know what they are. So the truth is your psychology, when you have a fully invested portfolio and you cannot hedge and you cannot allocate things differently because you don't have something that is either a cash reserve or has held up super, super well, right? There are people, and honestly, part of my portfolio recently, myself included, who got just absolutely wrecked because all they did was buy solely the high growth. You know, maybe they don't have revenue for a year or two years or they're trading at high sales. That is not the point of investing. Like, unless you're really just like, don't care. I don't want to look. I believe in, I'll check in five or 10 years, right? Mm. But I guess a lot of people, if you listen to the show more than once, you're probably looking at your screen more than once. So the way that I would think about it is have a position where you can use it for optionality. Like you can go and say like, you know, for me, I like to think about having 20 to 30% in essentially cash because the opportunities that you get on the downside are infinitely better than the ones that you get on the upside. When you see something that's like panic selling, like, you know, twist went to 103, slam, I slammed it. Like that's like, for me, it's like a no brain. Like my stomach was hurting to buy it, but I, I always buy when it hurts. It's a zigzag. You got a zig yeah. or a zag we always talk about. The big thing about that is having the p- ability to do that without, you know, getting hurt. Like I was already in twist, right? But because it went so low and I had the ability to buy more, I was feeling fine. Like it's different than when you're already all in and the mm. account's going down than when you're like 
70, 75% in, and it goes down. You see it, instead of fear, you see it as an opportunity. And that's a 99% of trading. Your mentality is everything. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care anything. Like I can say that I am the dumbest person in the world or whatever, but if I have the best mentality of like understanding the optimism and understanding that I'm not going to freak out. Like I saw people capitulating and mm. people were thinking that I was going to capitulate. And that the truth is I'll capitulate when I'm dead because I understand that it is going to be up and down. Stocks don't only go up. Right. So if you have a position where you can use optionality and like throw money into stuff that's not going to move and not be impacted, then you don't feel like you're thinking about the whole sum of your portfolio. It's a psychological thing at the biggest point of it. You're thinking about that percent that can get screwed, mm -hmm. but then you know, hey, if that gets screwed, I've got this other little part here that I can fix no matter what, right? right? And the reason it's 25 to 30% is because let's say you only have 10% cash and the rest of your portfolio goes to zero. Going from 10 to back to 100 takes 10x. If you have 25 to 30% cash, all you have to do is triple it. So yeah. the safer you are in that regard, you don't understand helps you infinitely more on the upside. And when you can get those cheap opportunities, you crush it. So I personally now am always going to go 20 to 30% of like very liquid or cash equivalent assets as SPACs as NAVs. Mm -hmm. And then you build, once again, you build it up, right? Like maybe the next 10%, you layer in stuff like SE because it's like, crushing right and, and and it's not crazy high multiple to sales and you know people love it you know people use it it's got great news great press that's you know obviously way less risky than buying qs like mm -hmm. quantum scape like it's there's a difference in risk right but i'm not saying you can't own quantum scape i'm just saying like layer it in a form that you can understand but here's the easiest thing you saw what happened in the last few weeks that is your answer key for the next six months because yeah. the stuff that held the best will continue to hold the best. And the stuff that got killed the worst will likely, unless they produce good earnings and different change in their news flow in the next six months, they will get killed the most when things get killed again. Yeah. So relative strength is just like what I was talking about in March. I saw that happen. The beach washed up and I saw the shells on the beach. Now you can look back at your charts, look back and see where the prices of the names were and mm -hmm. you'll understand relative strength. And I build my portfolio in the easiest sense of the word by increasing relative strength for increasing amount of capital and decreasing relative strength for decreasing amounts of allocation because that's mm. riskier. Right? Well, that's huge too. I mean, listen, I'm a victim of that too. One from emotions, right? Like I've really kind of only seen this stonks only go up type of situation. I'm in sales. So I do have tough skin and I can manage it. But listen, I, I went crazy. I, when, when we lost two weeks ago, I was going nuts, right? And so you did help and we helped each other like mentally to stay strong. Because if you do zoom out, you take a look, my future father in law gave me a great thing. He was saying, you know, if you look at the course of 10 days, you'll see lots of volatility. If you look at the course of 10 weeks, less yep. volatility, 10 months, less volatility, 10 years, even less volatility. So right, stonks don't only go up, of course, but over time, things will start to go back to the medium, like you're saying, in, in terms it's, of like, yeah, that. mean regression. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you do have to have tough skin, you have to be able to take those losses, if you're going to get super excited about those insane weeks that we've had, you know, you also have to acknowledge the fact that you're going to lose sometimes, right? And you have to be able to mentally be prepared for that for sure. It's just like Sylvester Stallone say, it's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you're hit and you can keep moving forward, how much you can take. And that's mm -hmm. how winning is done. So when you think about crying, when you think about, oh, I'm going to close my account, this is affecting my life. Yo, I lost a million bucks. It affected my life too. But here's the thing. How much did you make before that? Right? Zoom out. Exactly. Like Avi said, you really got to comprehend. Like if you just started to this game, I would, the only thing that I could ever say that's advice is to learn about the game. 
like learn about the markets deeply before you start following people and throwing money into random things, right? Like a lot of people are saying, well, like you, you have to buy the names that you like, that you do your DD on, that you enjoy. Because if you follow people blindly, and exactly. I swear this because I was there. How do you think I got here, right? I didn't well, just people probably up. follow us blindly. We love to share with the community. And so like, exactly. that's really what this show's about is honestly do your own due diligence at the end of the day. We're just, you know, one of those tools in the shed that you can, you know, take a right. look at and, and, and like more. It's so true. And like, and like the thing is, obviously there's so many names and like, there's like probably half the pounders names that I haven't even gotten into because there's so many of them, right? right. Like they're just, we're just, we just want to share the research, but the thing that people are may, might be misunderstanding. And if you're listening to this, I want to express it to you is a purely research show. Just like listen to the research, then do your own. And then you make your own decisions. And like, you know, I'm happy to help with this strategy for the overall very broad, high level, you know, how do you invest in terms of allocations and strategies? But once again, at the end of the day, the choices you make are your choices to decide what to buy and how much of it and what kind of risk, because once again, everyone's different. Like, you know, you don't know what I'm, my risk tolerance is the moon. And mm. your might, yours might be, I want to make five or 10% and not lose any money. Very different people for very different reasons. And, and, and I think that's, it's all about the bonsai, right? Like your bonsai can be a huge, huge tree trunk with a few leaves, or the thing can be like Jack and the Beanstalk with a bunch of leaves because you are just kind of, you know, YOLO risky. That's fine. Like it's up to you though. And not one portfolio size fits all. One, one last thing I want to say here is because people keep asking, you know, what do you do with your NAVs? All these SPACs are NAV. The thing is, when things are at $10, the benefit of them is that they're not going to go further down. If they do tick under, you can redeem and this and that. Like for pre-announcement, pre-DA SPACs, there's mm -hmm. a difference between things that have... So I want to reiterate this too. There's a difference between a SPAC who is about to de-SPAC, a SPAC who's having a merger vote. Like mm -hmm. the safest place to be in a SPAC in terms of the $10 floor is before there is a DA, pre-de-SPAC, all that things change as it gets closer and closer to becoming from feek to skills, things have changed, right? Now the warrants are redeemable. There, there's a lot of differences in that. So the $10 NAV SPACs or 10 to $12, like I, I really would not you know, recommend considering something over $12 or $13 NAV. Like mm -hmm. I can stomach 10, 20% drops like it's Monday, right? It doesn't matter. But I don't like buying SPACs that are premium at 16, 17. That's not NAV, that's stupid Tony. Um, so it's very different. You mentioned um, uh, skills. I just got to pop in here real quick. Any vindication here from the wolf pack? <laughs> Everyone gives this guy so much credit for writing the China hustle. I'm going to, he, you're only, clowns. As good, you're <laughs> that only was as the good worst one I've ever read. Yeah, too. <laughs> awful. You're only as good as what you did last week. And I don't care how much veneration or respect or whatever he has in the game. The guy's a hack. Come on the podcast and explain to me why you can't use Google search. That's all I have to say. Yeah. That was crazy. They're like the NFL partnerships, not even real. And literally yeah. if you Google it for two seconds. You can see it. He's defrauding investors at his own benefit. And you know, he was the guy who slammed the, put, the puts oh, yeah. before. You know, he was the one buying before and like whatever, like after it. And you know that it's just never going to come out. And that's just the name of the game. So Dan, David, if you're listening to this, I got a bone to pick with you. And if you have any guts or any face you want to save, come on on the podcast. All right, Johnny, let's transition back to SPAC attack. It's been a while. We'll have to bring back the mini monsters at some point, the mini monsters. Everyone's been loving those things. So just in general, SPACs were the hottest thing back when pre-CNBC days, you know, we were talking about these back in the summer, right? And we saw them and we dominated them. And then obviously, as you were just talking about, those were kind of the first to fall in many cases in the of past course. couple of weeks, right? So someone's asking here at Monroe 2205 SPACs dot, dot, dot. Are they worth the wait? 
They seem like they're worth the wait, but the hype is not what it used to be, as I just mentioned, right? What's your thoughts overall here in SPACs? Chris Monroe, shout out for the question there. Yeah, I mean, so we were in these things before people were in these things. We were in, I was in IPOA, right? Like I, I was in space, like I bought space. I was in DraftKings, baby. Right, yeah, you First were in DraftKings. I was in VTIC and that was a trade. Thank God I sold that. But basically here's the thing. Nicola. People, that yeah, one, yeah, that one you nailed too. That was crazy. Sold that at 93, baby. 93 <laughs> I got out at 86. That, that, yeah. We'll brag there for a second because that one was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. I mean, that's the thing. It's like when these were first coming out, it was hard to gauge what would be great or not. Like there weren't many EV players on the market at the time. And it's like the hype has become more real world hype now because so I'll just start off by saying there's a lot of people who say SPACs are a bubble. Those people don't understand how to read a dictionary. It's impossible for a SPAC to be a bubble. A SPAC is simply an investment vehicle tool to bring a company public. That's like saying, I I don't even know. It's like, it's just dumb. It's just not true. Because while companies inside of the SPACs that come out and hit the market can be a bubble, that doesn't mean that they all are, right? You got to think of it as like a very pure tool. There's nothing Mm. necessarily bad about a SPAC. In fact, it's like better for the retail investors versus a traditional IPO. But if you're going to be the guy who says that all SPACs are a bubble, and you're the guy who says all IPOs are a bubble, and you're the guy who says anything basically on the market is a bubble because it's a tool, right? So are all bonds a bubble? Are all stocks a bubble? Is everything in the world a bubble? No, because they're just just the tools. What's inside of those asset classes can be. Mm. That's the difference that people don't understand. I'm adamant about that. I'm, I'm right. So while that idea might be permeating throughout Twitter that all SPACs are a bubble, it's absolutely wrong. It's the same as like timing the market. Like I'll go back there. I'll keep bringing that up until people yeah. understand what like the definition of time is a change at all, right? Like you can only identify time by change. So if you do anything to your portfolio, you are timing the market. And if you don't understand time at the level of that, then it's like, that's the definition of 4D, right? That's actually what 4D is. So it's, it is what it is. Back to SPACs for a second. I had to vent really quick. But I like a lot of the companies that have come out of SPACs, right? Speak went into skills. I really like skills. I know people were like, oh, the monthly active users went down. Understand something. Solitaire Cube is 79% of their revenue. They basically have all the revenue from two or three games that were dead without skills. Skills is the one that came in, reinvigorated those games, used their platform, their ideas to make those games hot again for users. So they're succeeding in spite of the games. They don't create the game. They're succeeding in spite of. So that's the difference that everyone's missing. And so I'm very long and strong skills. But there are a lot of other SPACs like CMLF, SEMA4. Need not say more because I know CMLF specifically. I've been in that since day one. But I think that, you know, how I feel about genomics is so true. Like genomics, proteomics. Those are the things that are going to change the world. I am by no means a freaking etymologist expert or anything at all. Like I just understand that there's a big need for people to live longer and be happier and be healthier. And the amount of healthcare costs that are plaguing us and the entire country and all the world that you can't even factor in healthcare costs a lot of the time because people can't even get the healthcare, right? So it's like same as unemployment numbers. It's all BS. It's ambiguous because after six months, people don't get counted in unemployment. They're discouraged workers. So mm-hmm. those are the things that I'm looking for in terms of the SPACs because they can bring out companies that may not necessarily be hot enough to be taken public through an IPO, but have a runway in the next three, four, five, ten 10 years to completely change the game. So that is a, it's a huge thing for me to understand that SPACs are not a bubble themselves. But yes, there's a ton of companies that have come out of SPACs and have ridiculous high valuations. And so the point of the bonsai is like, for example, someone asked about DMYI. 
I own DMYI strictly because it is a quantum computing play. It's the only pure, really quantum computing play in the market. And I said on the podcast a million times, only three things I'm positive I need to be in for the next decade, genomics, quantum computing, and space. So for me, that is acceptable for me to take a couple percent risk in my portfolio, but that doesn't mean that because you know they're not going to make revenue for a couple of years, I will not put 10, 20% in it because it has the attributes of a bubble, but I think the whole word is stupid in itself. It's like, mm. it's creating value that you can't even understand right now. Like a lot of people like to say, I only want to invest in what I know, right? Well, if you only want to live the way you already do, you never really live because you have to do something different, right? You have to live a life. It's not just everyday routine. It's, there are things that change in the world. The only constant is change, which is time, which is why you're always timing the market. But once again, it's important to understand that SPACs can't be a bubble. However, understanding the high valuation SPACs will continue to get hurt until they start producing really good revenues and high valuations, right? Like these aren't things that you're going to say, oh, wow, they're making 400 million in profit, whatever. Like that's okay. There's a lot of companies that never did that for a long time. I'll just state a few, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Netflix, Tesla, Google. So that's how the world works, guys. So SPACs are not a bubble, but be cautious and just understand your bonsai in terms of risks. Like CMLF, for example, is trading a really good price to sales versus DMYI. It's like very, very hard for me to compare that in valuations. Obviously, to me, SEMA4 is way safer than DMYI. And that just kind of applies to everything down the road. And that's how you make the bonsai, honestly. It's just a delineation of the risks associated with certain stocks based on their actual fundamentals. So with that being said and understanding really what a SPAC is, just as a tool, you know, what tools you got in your toolbox right now that you're looking forward to maybe, you know, hit the garden with someday? <laughs> yeah, so these are both pre-acquisition that I like. Uh, the first one I'm talking about is Compute Health Acquisition Corp. That's going to be ticker symbol CPUH. It's about $10.48 today. Omar Ishik is the chairman currently of Intel. He was the CEO of Medtronic from 2011 through April 2020. They absolutely dominated during that time period. Prior to Medtronic, he was the CEO of GE Healthcare Systems. Medtronic also had mentioned that they're going to be investing into the SPAC. And so that I absolutely love. Again, this is just purely speculation based off the management team. The other one I'm taking a look at here is KVSA. That's Kosla Venture Acquisition. This is Vanid Kosla. He's the co-founder of Sun Microsystems. This guy's an absolute beast. Definitely check out some YouTubes on him. You'll be blown away. He has plans for four of these, but this first one has Jagdeep Singh <laughs> from QuantumScape, Mario Schlosser from Oscar. He's the founder of Oscar Health. And Derek Anthony West is the chief legal officer over at Uber. I have some questions here as to why I was doing some due diligence and some folks on Twitter absolutely love these facts. And I think it'd be helpful to understand why these are important. So the first thing that I saw was that they had a forward purchase agreements of $25 million. Their founder shares have the ability to go from 15% to 30% based off triggering events. And then in terms of no warrants, right? So does that mean that these guys have the swag that they don't need <laughs> to put that carrot out for people to come into their spec? Or what does that really mean for them? The fact that they have no warrants. So those three questions are, are something I'm yeah. on. Mind. Yeah, I mean, and I, I do think that's interesting, right? Like it's always about the management team. And if you see a management team that's got like decades of prior experiences, proven track records, proven success, you know, buying a SPAC is essentially like getting into a VC. You got to pick off the management team because you really don't know what's going to be happening. And like, there's been some management teams who are pretty good and have gotten crap targets, but the guys who are really, really great 
And I, I don't mean like the new guy who's like doing an alphabet or like all these other things. I'm talking about the guys who are in the game, the real game for a long time, right? Like the previous like Lavongo guy, like CEO, he's an absolute monster. I like watched his interview the other day. He knows what he's doing better than anyone else in the space. So do I think I'm smart enough to pick the right company? No. Do I think I'm smart enough to pick the right person? Hell yeah. So that's the difference in the way I think about SPAC. I like what you just said about um, uh, CPUH, just, you know, Medtronic, it's so close to ISRG, so close to, you know, the, the Nanox, the butterflies, the basically like digitizing just medical healthcare. And I think that that's sick and that's going to happen, right? Like healthcare is one of the biggest expenses in the entire world. And, mm-hmm. most and this is what I was talking about, I think at last episode or the episode before is I, I see like genomics is obviously, you know, getting the highlights right now and, and has the spotlight on them. But med tech, we saw butterfly and we'll be talking about one here shortly with the same folks, but like med tech is definitely a space that I see just continuing to get hot robotic surgery, that whole space is just inevitable, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, and I totally agree with you. I mean, like, same same wavelength here. Like, that is, really, if you bet on something at this point, like, everything's kind of set, right? Like, you kind of know, in the current mm. schema and the paradigm of the universe we live in right now, you know who the big dogs are, you know the big problems, and you know the problems that have yet to be addressed, right? Like, no one really needs another Snapchat or another Facebook. No mm. one really needs, like, another way to buy something online in the U.S. Mm. Like, I can't stop buying stuff online. Like, I, in fact, less would be better, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of situation for this. But then you look at other areas with the huge discrepancy of money being put into it and belief in it, right? Like, every time I get into a conversation with somebody about genomics, they ask me about the value. And then I asked them, how much money would you pay if you had a baby that was going to come out with a defect? What would you pay to make sure the baby came out safe and and secure? Like the answer is any goddamn thing, infinite amount, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you knew that you could, you know, base edit a gene or like use synthetic DNA to change your makeup to make you live better. And because you're being sequenced all the time, because you're getting your genetic like makeup in those systems, semaphore and invitae that you know before it even is too late, right? Like that's the thing. It's not about dealing with the health. It's about preventing it in the first place. So I read this hilarious tweet and I'm, I think it's by at point one on Twitter. Could be wrong, but either way, incredible tweet. Alternate reality. It's so funny because I this should have happened. This is how this should have gone in the world. And it's crazy that it went the other way. So TDOC merged with LVGO. LVGO, had they not merged with TDOC, I am telling you, that this guy's tweet was right. He's like alternate reality. You know, Livongo purchases TDOC for ten billion at post fears of online healthcare coverage because of vaccinations. And but like Livongo, it doesn't matter, right? Like you're using the you're using the tracking for your health for diabetes, regardless, right? So it's actually crazy that had they waited off, in my opinion, six months longer, they could have bought TDOC for less than TDOC bought them for. And so that just proves to me that when you merge two companies that were good, one of them is exceptionally phenomenal, which was Livongo, and the price of that company cannot move higher. There's, because people are focusing it on the teledoc aspect, which is post-prevention dealing with, versus Livongo is pre-prevention. If you deal with it before, there is no cost to deal with after. So that is, I totally agree with MedTech and everything. And honestly, I think that like that kind of applies for everything, right? Like preventativeness and, and, and picking the SPACs, right? Like you don't want to YOLO and pick 50 different companies from 50 different managers. You'd rather say, hey, let's be preventive in case the market drops. I, w- I want to buy stuff near NAV. 
Let's be preventive mm. in case there's a supply spat glut, which I called months and months ago. And here we are now, right? This is why you're seeing those terms get worse and worse on SPACs is because, well, it's actually interesting because it went that way a little bit because there was a lot of SPACs coming out. And when the market was really hot and frothy, the SPACs that were hitting the market didn't think that they needed to have any type of incentive, right? And that's all a warrant is. A warrant's a cheap way for you to get in a slice of the pie and it's an incentive. And that's why they put those out as a company because you're basically like, hey, like Peak Life is doing a SPAC. Basically, here's some warrants. I'll give you 15% of the shares through warrants of, of the shares allocated because I want you to buy my SPAC. I'm giving you a good deal. Versus like, you know, Bridgetown 1 had warrants from uh, Peter Thiel. Bridgetown 2, BTNB had no warrants. So these guys are basically saying, I don't need to give you an incentive because the SPAC market's so hot. However, I think that it might actually change back even further, right? So at, before you get to mean regression, you hit both sides of the spectrum a lot. Hence all the political change in the US over the last decade, uh, century. So that's how the world is, right? Everyone's actually in the center. Everyone's actually in the mean regression. And if you're not, you're an outlier, but regardless, the average is where it is. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see that over time, there will be a pretty standard way, I think, that the SPACs end up going. So at first it's like, YOLO, here are these warrants. Yo guys, it's sick. You can buy it for a dollar. Our SPAC goes to 50, you get 40 bucks. Sweet, right? That's what happened with CCIV. But now it's like, there are so many SPACs that, even though people started doing stuff like BTNB without warrants, and like you were just saying, no warrants on this other mm -hmm. one, KVSA, there's so many SPACs now. There's a supply glut. So it's like goodwill hunting at the bar, right? You walk into a bar, you've got 20 girls walking around the bar, and he wants the leader of the group, the most attractive girl in the group or whatever. The neg from the, the book, The Game. <laughs> right, yeah. And so you talk to the other friends and this and that. And so that, that is an interesting way to think about it in that term. It's more like you walk into a bar and there's like 30 girls around and they're all kind of possibly smoke shows. But then you go and you're like, all right, this girl's like definitely drank too much. Or this girl is like talking to these guys and this and that or whatever. Then you see the one girl in the corner rocking the jukebox, playing Led Zeppelin, saying, fuck it, you know, on the fourth day, God made Led Zeppelin. And then you figure out that that's the girl you walk over to because the other ones suck. So mm. that's how I think the SPAC, you got to think about it like that. It's like you are picking a partner, you know, and in like the loose sense of the word, because you're betting on them to succeed in what they're expecting to be doing, right? Like you don't walk up to a girl expecting to have a horrible relationship. Right? Right. You walk up with the best of expectations and everything you do in life. And that's what you should do if you're an optimist. And if you're not, become one. But for me, it's all about picking the girl that's, at the jukebox, rocking out to Led Zeppelin. Like, whether they have warrants or not, right? Like if the Livongo guy does another SPAC, whatever yeah. song he's playing, I'll listen to. So that's kind of the way I'm rocking with this. My uh, my future brother-in-law calls, he's like, you bet on the, the jockey, you know, that's going to be on the horse. So that's kind right. of the, the way you look at management teams. Um, yeah. All right, we got people live here in the room. We, I said we'd take some live questions today. So this is kind of fun. This is like turning into a, a radio show here. We had two others that we did want to touch on very quickly. XPOA, you mentioned that there's rumors about being relatively space, or I probably mispronounced that. Yeah, re relativity space. Uh, yeah, that's a D normal Diamond word. I can be able always, to pronounce that. Yeah, he's, he's always talking about it, right? This thing's cool. It's like the first autonomous rocket factory and launch uh, services for satellites. They're like disrupting 60 years of aerospace, reliability, 100 times fewer parts, speed, 10 times faster production, flexibility, no fixed tooling in a simple supply chain, optimization, compounding mm -hmm. iteration, quality, and time improvements. Basically, that's all just good stuff to like make this faster and cheaper and get people into space. And, you know, I have no idea if this is going to be the target. I, I own a lot of XPOA. I think that'd be pretty a great target right because you're going to need that kind of stuff that undercuts all those costs to be able to make space travel the same as travel you know on a plane mm -hmm. 
Also, the, another one you're talking about, we, we were just talking about this is uh, Rothenberg. He's doing these Elon Musk cryptic tweets on Twitter. Yeah. And he's like, you know, butterfly check, you know, Kappa or, you know, the uh, blood sign. Check. Yeah. And then he's like, third one, question, question, question. And then you see that their second spec is HCCR. And then you see that Hyperfine retweeted his tweet. Right. And then shout and out to a, that DJ Warren Buffett here for, yeah. for figuring out that info. But it's just in, in, insane to see that you can maybe piece it together. Maybe it's maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's loose. But it's very interesting to see. You can kind of figure out a little bit if you dig in deeper. He also found this connection with Christopher Wright. HCCR is the ticker symbol you mentioned with Jonathan Rothenberg there. But He's a part of Coley Capital, C-O-L-L-E Capital, uh, which is involved with Hyperfine. And that is an amazing private company. If that's the company, that's what we're excited about. That's a portable MRI company. It gives me feelings of Nanox, but it's actually already got the FDA approval. So that one's very exciting. If that is the case, then of course, we'll talk to that a little bit more. But uh, 100%. for the sake of time, Tony, let's, let's let some folks in here. Let's go, Jamie. Let Jamie, well, let me unmute you real quick. A long time pounder. Yeah. So happy to have you on, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And so, yeah, my question is, with respect to a risk profile, what should we really be considering once SPACs demerge and get listed for their companies? Uh, and do we think the SPAC culture has learned uh, lessons? I, again, optimistically, I'm hoping that Lessons were learned as Lucid was demerged and it appeared to have been overvalued. And that was yeah. basically, you know, what I saw. Yeah. I think the market is uh, obviously just a construct of psychology, right? So people are always going to have like the reason greed's a sin. People are always going to have parts of greed and people are always going to have gluttony. And so the thing that I think about with these SPACs is they're just people when they start. It's almost like I'm buying a social token because I don't know what it, the company is going to be. I just know that if this company or this person succeeded in the past, good chance they'll succeed again, right? Like I know past performance is not indicative of future success, but it's very different when you've been doing it for a long, long time and you can tell. So the thing about Lucid is when Bloomberg came out and the first article that they posted actually, I think, screwed the stock a lot because it even had me fooled instantly. I read the article. It's like, you know, they, they phrased it in a way that made people think they got twice as bad of a deal. You know, as I said, Lucid is going to go public for $24 billion valuation. And when you say that, the expectation is at $10. And then they came back and they corrected it later. But by that time, right, it's over, right? Like once things hit, it's, it's the stops got triggered, people got sold, people believed that it was gonna be a worse deal than it is. In fact, it was a better deal than it was. Understand that the valuations of these SPACs can go really, really high. When they become companies, it's based on that company. You know, it's at first a big part of it's the hype, and a big part of it is what the potential company will be. And you know, once you know the company, once you're at the D spac, oh, Sammy's here. That's amazing. Yeah, and once you're at the the D spac moment, then by that point, you should really understand what the company is and the valuations. I think people are naturally greedy. I think people will naturally you know, try to get the highest value. It's in their incentive to take a, a SPAC public that does well. But it's also in their incentive to make money off whatever the hell they do. So I think that it's going to be a mix. The, the smart people who have succeeded for many, 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 many years will do the right thing. And the people who are new and dropping SPACs like Queen's Gambit or LMAO, those guys are going to get their ass whooped. And it's just the construct of that. I think you bet on good people for the long term. Otherwise, you just, you might as well hit the casino. Uh, Rahul has a question. So I'll, I'll pop to Rahul. Hey, Avi. Hey, Al. Big fan as always. Um, hope you're feeling Thanks better. Thanks for coming Avi. back. I can't believe Thanks you, for like, coming back. Got, yeah, you got COVID and you're still like 
giving us this episode. It's insane, dude. Um, but <laughs> I'm feeling better now. Uh, just glad to hear that, man. Just quick question, kind of following up on what the first question was, kind of similar. So it's like a two ticker question. I don't know if you can like answer together how you want to look at this, but AGC came out with that report, potentially merging with Grab, another headline with the 40 billion valuation. But again, that company is the biggest unicorn in Singapore. So just wanted your thoughts on that. And then similarly, I think Coupon IPO or yeah, CPMG, yeah. Um, another valuation type of uh, deal, kind of fiasco where that hit at 63 and it's already 46. So I kind of want to just ta- ask you real quick, like, do you view that more of an e-commerce play or like this whole super app type of deal, which what they're pitching it as? I mean, if you read the story of SoftBank and how they invested in it and, and they call this guy a young Jedi, like Masa loves him. So <laughs> I know you always preach like follow the money. Like that's like a big thing I've learned from you. And it's like pretty sick to think of it that way. But then you also have to look at it like 50 million people there, right? Like it's dense. So many things going on. So I just wanted to throw that out there. See what you had to say about those two things. I know AGC was a pound. Yeah, I don't know if you looked at CPNG yet, but I think similar Mm -hmm. concepts. Yeah, so CPNG, I like did a light look at. Like, I, I don't know enough to talk about it, but from what I, from what I gather, like, you know, I like anything that has multiple legs and it's like kind of taking an area by storm. So mm. once I'll dive in more, I'll be able to talk more about it. I, for me, like, the market's not like, you know, back to high is not perfect right now and we're still in a wait and see environment. So I don't really like adding to new names in this time unless it's like something I must get into no matter what. So I I haven't been doing specifically tons of research in like specific new names right now. Obviously AGC, I took a look at that. And so I know Grab is a beast, but what I have to say about that is at $40 billion valuation, it's really not crazy considering they did, I think they did 2.3 billion in rev last year or something like that. I, I didn't dive into it too much, but I do know that that $40 billion price tag is not going to make it easy to go to like 40, 50, 60. So AGC, basically the thing about SPACs is they're all going to be like 10, $20, like PSTH, but most of them are going to be like 10. And so when they're 10, right, it's psychologically, like if a stock is like a hundred dollars and it's 40 billion, you know, that that stock is still going to have volatility because instead of moving $1, which is 4 billion, $10 is 4 billion. So to get AGC to go, it's going to have to continue to crush estimates like SC would or, you know, like Etsy, someone like that. I don't know, yeah. the $40 billion valuation for me, it's not a bad valuation. It's, it's tough, just, yeah. it's yeah. just, I was hoping for a company that was doing very, very well, but like in the 10 to 15, maybe $20 billion range max. It's just 40 right. billion. Right. 40 billion for me to first get into something. It feels like I got to the party late. Like, I don't know, tough. maybe it could be a two. It's your $100 billion rule. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's 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 that rule, and it's just it's because like yeah, like I own it from like eleven or so like recently, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think I might just kick mm-hmm. it because I think that you know at that valuation, it's not a crazy valuation. I looked into the numbers; it's it's quite good considering how strong they are in so many different areas. But I don't know if I'm yeah. going to be keeping it because of opportunity cost of capital. Can I ask you a quick follow up? I know there's others that have yeah, yeah, questions. Yeah, but just sure. Real quick, on, quick, do you think that like someone Brad, who's considered like a great tech investor, since he had to go international, I don't know if he disconnected the audio Hello? there. I know what his question was going to be. He's like, because they're going international, you think that there's less companies in the U.S. to buy that are good targets. No, that's his target plan. He wanted to do that in the first place. Like BTWN was trying to take Tokopedia, right? So like, it only makes sense. He's that kind of guy. He's looking for that yield in other areas because this is the thing, like the U.S. has the highest valuations on everything and it won't be that way for long. All right, let's uh, take a question here. It looks like Kim Kai, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, yeah, hello, can you, uh, can you hear me? 
Yes, we can. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's such a pleasure and an honor to speak with both of you guys. I've been oh, man, a fan you. of pounding the table since the beginning. Let's go. So, yeah, my question is a little bit more short term. It's for next week because we all know what next week is with quad witching and or triple witching or whatever. And I just had a question because, um, like past couple of weeks, the Dow or YM has been like the leading mm-hmm. index out of the three, while you know the Nasdaq has been lagging. So I was just wondering. I think there's like a conference with uh, JP Morgan and Bank of America this week or whatever. So if things do run, I'm most likely they're probably going to be choppy. But if things do run, do you think, uh, you know, the YM stocks like Goldman Sachs and, you know, Boeing ran a lot last week. Do you think they have a better chance to run than techs? I like to zig when they zag, right? Like everyone's telling me that I'm an idiot for thinking oil is going to go to zero. And everyone's telling me like, I don't like when people tell me I'm going to learn my lesson because usually it's people who are thinking in an old form and, and they don't really understand what's going on with like the way the world's changing. Like if you're still pounding the table on banks and oil to me, don't talk to me about <laughs> stocks because I know you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So that's the, and I'm not, that's not to say that you can't make money trading this. That's not to say that you can't make money like investing in like, options or just like swing trading them. But if you think like, I like to buy stuff that I expect to hold for five to 10 years, because even if I don't hold it for five to 10 years, knowing that it has a runway for five to 10 years will be a big deal for me, right? Because if things go down and the market gets like really, really unfun again, you have the conviction. I have no conviction in oil. I am positive oil is not used in 20, 30 years. So that's the hard thing for me. Like I can't, and like, do I really think banks are here to stay? No, man, Goldman Sachs has an expiration date. You know, they all, those are all going to be dead, I think, in my opinion, in the next 10, 20 years, because you, you will not have centralized finance, you'll have decentralized finance. So I, I can't put my money in shit that I don't believe in. I don't believe in any of that, for lack of a better word, boomer stuff, because it's a new world, right? So for me, I look for, like, I think I was saying this in the last Zoom meeting, I would look for things that could be both plays on tech and plays on reopening. Like I was talking, we were, this is actually on the podcast. We just haven't released it. It's for this weekend, but like square, like I mentioned last time, you know, their hardware software and what do you think is going to happen when the economy opens up? And then the last year square has been developing all these new hardware products and they're just going to take over in all the markets again. And they got Bitcoin. Now you can trade stocks. They bought title. It's like, I'd rather yeah. buy something. I, I'd rather do that than invest in like Chevron trying to get another oil contract or something. Mm. It's like, yeah. It doesn't make and any I sense. And I do have a, one more follow-up question, if you don't mind me asking it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of your tweets the past couple of weeks, I think you said like SE was like your favorite stock as of like right now. Mm-hmm. Do you still hold by that? And in terms of, I guess like, you know, Shopify and Melly all basically like did their moves, you know, making like, you know, the 1500, 2000 push or whatever. Do you think SE has that in her? You know, yeah, here's the, my, here, five, I, I, I'll be short because I spent like five, 10 minutes talking about this on the pod. Melly is no longer ahead of the table. SE wins. SE wins everywhere they go. So the head of the table beat out another head of the table. And my prediction was that SE, no matter what market it goes into, it dominates. And I did not expect them to dominate the way they dominated in South America, Latin America. I, I know Mealy's been there for 20 years. I understand brand loyalty, this and that, but you cannot change numbers. And we actually like looking at the charts of where the app downloads are for SC, anywhere they touch, they win. Which means it's like, if you have, let's say you have three people making pies, right? Like people can test all the pies, whichever pie tastes the best is the pie they keep eating, right? SC's pie tastes the best all over the world. So Mealy is out, SE is double in, double in. Yeah. 
<laughs> awesome. Ephraim. Hey, it's great to be on. Man, it's been um, awesome to see you guys take this live. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. But dude, finally get to see you face to face. Anyway, this year's been it was great in January and then terrible in February. And right now it's just choppy. And so this is what uh, kind of leads to my question uh, regarding the choppiness. Now, you know, some people are getting very uh, bearish because, you know, rates are rising. And you talked about this last year too. It's like, well, if rates go up, this is like the only time that would be bearish. Now, you know, I've gotten out of a lot of those high growth names, but I'm still in a couple of specs. And I'm wondering if we do see a pretty sharp market pullback, say like, you know, something similar to 99, 2000, back then it was the IPO craze. And this this time around, we've had a SPAC craze. And I'm wondering, you know, I know SPACs have a floor, but would you see the SPAC still going through with their acquisitions or would, would it be, yeah. would it just be like, oh, you know, awesome. we're just going to hold off and, and dissolve the SPAC and everyone gets that, that yeah. minimum? Perfect question, man, because I like if you can count the amount of SPACs that happened in the last three weeks and there, if I, it's like nothing. Like I remember the weeks before the last two weeks, we were like getting a SPAC every six minutes. And I was like, I just bought this one, but this one announced. And like, you know, that's when the market's frothy, right? Cause these companies have an incentive to hit the market in good conditions. Cause they want the valuation. You know, people won't say it as explicitly, but it's crazy. I've been noticing that the industry is saying how explicitly now they want multiple which is quite crazy to see like they're being so blatant about the fact that they want to go private to public and get a higher multiple because the public markets always give a higher multiple but i know that if the market's like crashing like it was the last few weeks even the SPACs that get announced won't go up and so the number of SPACs that will get announced will be so much less than it was like a month ago in this frothy market and then plus you have to consider like i think when i was looking up the numbers of private companies in the u.s that are over a billion dollars that are worth it, like to possibly go through a SPAC. I think it was only like 360 or 340. And this was like a few months ago. I'm sure there's more now, but also a ton of hit the market. Mm. And so we have 500 SPACs or so. Those 300, it's just not enough. You know, there's too many SPACs to too right. many really good companies. So, I mean, like, I'm definitely keeping the, the good SPAC names, but I'm just wondering like, you know, if if those would for example like fmac we we grabbed a smoking deal uh, on that pullback mm-hmm. and then i i'm still a big believer in uh, ipoe uh going with sofi mm-hmm. so you know i'm just wondering like okay do we see those happen or if the market pulls back would they just be like oh no we're just going to dissolve this back and, and oh no 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 i i don't think i don't think that's going to happen and, and I, I think it might happen to some cuz here's the thing it's more important about like and i know you know this so much like the the management and like the company the team itself it's like, do I think SEMA 4 is going to dissolve with CMLF? Absolutely not. No chance in my mind. But do I think that like if you get a, a target for a SPAC and then it just keeps driving down towards NAV, like you'll start to see SPACs dissolve. That's my guess. At the end of the year, last year you had none that failed a merger. This year you will because it's just the oversupply. But I, I don't think that like your question of like, do they dissolve the markets doing poorly? I think the timeline for all that happening so far is like been pretty quick, right? Like once you have a definitive agreement, there's a reason it's like definitive, right? So mm-hmm. if they dissolve the SPAC, it's because they can't find a company and that will that will happen 100%. Like by the end of the year, people are going to say my SPAC did not merge with the company because they picked a bad team. But that's why it's even more than ever, like before you could YOLO pretty much anything. But now like this is the supply glut and there's just not enough supply to meet the demand because you got Shaq on a SPAC. There's no reason for Shaq to be on a SPAC. He, he needs to be playing basketball or being a DJ. <laughs> Shaq attacks, yeah. Shaq attacks. I, 
Cool. I agree. So in other words, just like stick with the high quality specs and and let them do their thing. Yeah. And I think another cool thing that I'm adding to the strategy is once they announce, depending on how much I own of it, and I look at their numbers, I think that's probably the point in which you trim or you don't trim. You decide like me, CMLF, I've trimmed none. And I sold all of it the first day it announced. And then because I had units and then I bought the warrants like within two seconds. So that's all it is. And I kept those the whole time. And I really believe in it long term. I w- refuse to sell any versus like if something comes like AGC, like we were just talking about uh, $15, already 60 billion. Like where, where can this really go? Like, does it go to 30, triple the valuation like Airbnb? Mm. Sure. But do I'd rather put my money with like HAAC at 10. Let's pop over to uh, Kevin. I can't mess that name up. So Kevin, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're on the line here. Pop on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Awesome talking to you. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, I had a similar question about rates, because like that last caller mentioned, you said that if rates rise, it's kind of the doomsday for our market. And, you know, it's at 1.6 on the 10 year right now. And I don't think they're going to stop rising. So my question is, how do you view that? Because I think rates will go back to two or three percent. And do you think it'll mess with the uh, PE? Will there be more compression? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, this is also on the podcast. It's awesome that we're actually answering questions ahead of time. I'll just say again, like, so there's a difference in rates. Like, I think people are, I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying that like, in general, when people say rates, it's like, like it is, it's bond yields. And I say rates for both, but it's like the yield of the 10 year and then the 10 year yield rate, whatever. But it's, it's, it's different than like the fed funds rate. So my whole thing was if the fed started to raise rates, like if the fed was tampering, because that trickles into absolutely everything in the like actual system, right? Like you can have volatility in the bond market to like the point and like, yes, you'll have those violent sell-offs, but think again, like market has gone up most of the time in rising rate environments or rising yield environments. So that's not the nail in the coffin I was talking about. That is like annoying. Like that's all I'll say is it's annoying because actually 1.6 to two is actually healthy, especially if we're starting to get inflation. And if that can combat the inflation while letting the Fed stay completely expansionary, it's actually a win-win because then people will assume that the market's strong. And what happens is the Fed funds rate is supposed to usually go in line with like the 10 year. It's supposed to be a mix between the yield curve essentially to combat inflation and this and that. So my whole idea of what will be going wrong is when the Fed begins to stop buying the $120 billion between bonds and swaps a month. Like when the Fed starts to taper off the balance sheet, because if you look at where the market was before October of 2019, when the Fed began expanding again, the market was like, you know, it really was like up and down volatile. So that is the issue for me that I don't, I don't want to see that again, because Powell was just hitting the rates every quarter right? This was like 2019, 2018. And then we had the China news. We had all all this stuff was going on and it wasn't the most expansionary environment. But now like, I guess the pandemic can count as five things in one because it really has been. Whether or not it's actually affecting the real economy, the mentality of people is, right, if the Fed has basically zero Fed funds rate, if they are continuing to buy on the balance sheet to stabilize the markets and asset classes, which bonds are really important, right? Because if the 10 year is 3%, why are you going to buy stocks if you're like a billionaire when you could just put 100 mil in and get 3%? It's like, I, I get your point to that. And so that regardless will compress PEs a bit. But I think the difference is if like the Fed begins to act with what the market's thinking, then it's not like, right now we're pulling between is 
the real 10 year what we want or is the Fed funds like zero what we have in our heads? A lot of it's the actual market. A lot of it's the psychology of people saying, oh, wow, rates are going up. But the only thing that actually saved us was obviously cutting the Fed funds rate because that's lending, right? That's specifically bank lending. So that, that's, a, that's a big deal. Uh, if the Fed starts to raise rates fast, this is the issue, if it starts to raise it fast, it's going to be bad. If the Fed starts to taper fast, it's going to be bad. You basically, if I were the Fed, you have to let things roll off at expiration, especially on the balance sheet. I don't want to have a forced taper, but I also don't want them to continue to blow up the balance sheet in case we need that ammo. So I want rates for the Fed funds and the 10-year to both go back to two. That is a healthy economy because if something goes wrong, you slash those rates to zero again, you pump in more money and everything's good. This is how it's going to work for the next couple of decades. That's, that would get me really bearish if the Fed was like, hey, we're actually going to go to 1% tomorrow. I'll probably, I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to sell everything because it'd be down a lot. Brad, uh, you'll be the last question here. So Hi, thanks well. for having me. Um, yeah, I, well, just listening to the talk about uh, interest rates, possible uh, headwinds with the interest rates. What can we do today? to protect our portfolios, like for, for any kind of projected damage in the future. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think a you big know? part of this is what's, what's nice and what's also not nice is that a lot of things have already snapped back to value. Like the risk in a multiple compression is already exponentially lower than it was when it was already so highly expanded. So now because things have already sold off so much, the market's giving you a price pretty much of like, that's pretty cool, I can pay that. Or like, that's a little pricey, I gotta wait for that. So it's like what I was saying in like in March, 2020, everything sold off so much that you could see the relative strength at the end of it. You could see the things that didn't get completely obliterated and killed. But I think a good way to think about your portfolio in terms of this high potential of like compression is right. to have it like kind of bonsai out, spread out to where I, from from now on, because of this looming risk, I will force myself to consistently be 20 to 33% in cash or cash equivalents, which means like NAV specs, like I mean, 10, $11, nothing more, because mm -hmm. if there's a multiple compression, there's an issue there. And there's already been one, I've already gotten hit by that. And so if there's another one, I don't wanna wait and be like, oh man, I should have done this now 10 years at 3% right. and mm -hmm. people are freaking the hell out. So for me, it's like every time I make a gain on something that's risky, I think, okay, like, you know, your delineations, right? You've got like, like SC is way less riskier than uh, QuantumScape or whatever. So when the market is giving me gains on stuff like calls on QuantumScape or whatever it is, like shorter term plays, that for me is instantly just going back into the NAVs and cash because I am stockpiling up in case that there is a value compression that's worse because this can happen to one of two ways. It'll end up being that slowly and slowly, rates will normalize and the economy is back to normal. And because of that, it will actually be beneficial for tech. I think people are saying that it's like, it, it's not mutually exclusive, right? Like even though you're outside, you're still going to use your iPhone. It doesn't matter. So for me, I think people are like overselling these things, not understanding that it doesn't matter whether or not they believe in it, it's here to stay. But I do think that in the short term, that will cause, as we've just seen, drops, even though it's not even the Fed funds rate moving. It's just like the 10 year, which can move right back down. So for me, it's like allocating towards safer things with risky profits over time. Because like if you buy something that's like $10 and it goes to 50 and it's now trading five times higher than you bought it at, right? That's when I start to think about trimming and selling stuff to allocate to different things because I want to keep myself moving higher on a staircase. Because even though you move on a staircase, 
there will be elevators down, but like, don't go to the floor zero. You know, if you're on the penthouse, go to like yeah, 10th you floor. Always catch a little abuse, I guess. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I think that's pretty much the only question I had. Have you ever um, heard of uh, Danimer Scientific? Have you looked into that? Yeah, I heard one of my good friends owns is a big buyer of it. Um, from what he's told me and everything, I like the company a lot. Uh, it's just it's just because the market's not in the best of scenarios right now. I don't look right. to add new yeah, things true. when the market's doing poorly, give or t- I mean, mm-hmm. relatively, mm-hmm. it's still up a yeah, lot. Sure, yeah. really. But I, I, right, I like right. to wait for me to feel like comfortable. Like I'm actually like in the process of going through all my names. Like I posted on Twitter and I've like started narrowing it down like the five or 10 that I want to keep. And then I think I might cash okay. the rest of it when we get back right. to highs. Like when I get back to my portfolio highs, <clears throat> I'd like to be five to 10 positions and really spend time to figure out allocating a little bit of this one or that one. Cause I don't want to be in this position again. I didn't like going down as much as I did. Mm-hmm. Especially while you guys are on vacation. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, just got, I just got back and it was awful. Yeah, uh, oh, Corona and the, the markets were crashing. Oh, this is oh, the worst thing God. in the world. The worst part is too is that I wasn't down on a single thing. Every single thing is oh. still up, and it just was like the compression happened. And I had wished right. to not be in when the compression happened, but the benefit is the compression happened, and we're still out here kicking. And so that I think will be healthier in the future because the problem with long-term investing is you buy something at hundred, it goes to 300, it goes back to 200, then it goes to 400. You know, like that Mm. happens even more so with these high value, you know, potential names to where now that people are scared, you'll think twice before YOLOing margin on like QS. All right, we'll do one last question and then we do have to wrap it up because I know everyone wants to actually hear the full podcast. um, Yeah, we got to edit it too. Yeah, exactly. So Alexander, are you, are you on the line? Yeah. Hey, fellas. How you doing? How's it going, man? Welcome. Doing well, doing well. Hey, uh, just two quick questions. Um, I know we're going into OPEX week this week, and uh, I know historically speaking, it's not, you know, the best week to trade weeklies. I just wanted to know, Anthony, your opinion on that. Do you not really play weeklies on OPEX or can there be an anomaly week where all of a sudden weeklies are ripping on OPEX week? I just kind of wanted to hear your opinion on that. Basically, what OPEX is supposed is like, the reason people are like, oh, it's it's quad witching, it's like it's freaking them out, is because there is active market participant attempted manipulation to pin stuff at certain prices, and whether it's it's not manipulation in the form of like, like someone is rolling over their contracts for this month that expire on indices to another month. So it's just how it works. It's just the system to where you have to move over or else it expires, right? If you're net long X number of S and P five hundred that expires this month, you move to the next month or you move further out. So that means you initially have to sell the current futures contract, move to the next one. And then that one becomes the one that people are trading on post this week. And so that does lead the room for like the S&P 500 to try to pin in a sense. However, like SPX roll does cause sells in S&P 500. There's also been weeks where OPEX has been an incredible week for weeklies, but nine out of 10 times I regret trading weeklies on OPEX. That's just me. One more for Heath, just because it's Heath. Let's do it. He's the man. I can. What's up, guys? My man. What's, What's up, going on, dude? I got, it's, it's similar to that question. So quad winching, all this, is this a great time? I've found, I think it's a great time, but to add leaps in our specialties like SE, if, if it takes a big hit, go out yeah. a few months and add leaps. Yes. I mean, dude, if, if SE goes back to 200, I, I will add more leaps. Like I have started buying just a ton of shares of it because like they are going to be a trillion dollar company. Like, yeah. I, get, I, I feel like people get worked up about, you know, quad winching or OPEX weeks when they're actually 
can benefit you if you don't try to play the weeklies and you go out in time and you, you know, let it pay you. Nobody wants to get there slowly, but it beats losing in an OPEX week. I guarantee I that. totally agree with you. I mean, and Tomas is actually, he just said something. He said, historically, OPEX Monday is a red day. Yeah, I mean, like, they, they are rolling over, and this is, like, kind of happening throughout the week. And it was, I think it was, like, 2% we saw in the chat on Friday. It was, like, 2% of uh, contracts have rolled over Thursday. But I think that you're, you're totally right. And, like, I think that in just the broader sense, like, do I like buying weeklies? Yeah, if I have to make money to meet my numbers that I want to by the end of the month, like I'll push the envelope with weeklies because you don't need a lot to make a lot. But if you want to make like real, real money, you know, I that's always right. go, I always go for like leaps because <clears throat> you can't put conviction in a bet that's short term. Like that's you, right. it's hard. It's harder to do that. You can bet a little bit, but it's like, do I go to the table and do I go and put half my savings on black on roulette? Or do I learn how to play blackjack and count cards for five years and go sweep the casinos? Yeah. It's a very different story. Yeah, I like I weekly like to. to cover, uh, you know, for, you know, puts just for protection. But definitely I've had better luck, longer term leaps on yeah. on down weeks, especially with Powell this week and OPEX. I mean, it's like the World Series week of bad news could come. So, yeah. And I think you'll totally see like opportunities this week. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to think we're going to go rip right back to 14,000 on NASDAQ. If we do get some opportunities, SC, like they, you'll hear it on the podcast, but it's like a five billion pound for me. I just, I'm happy to buy, like, you know, once again, include the earnings date because you can hold that IV and then you don't even have to hold it to sell it. And then also love to, in the monies, they, like, I was looking this like uh, June 22, SC 120s were like 110 bucks. So like 11 grand. But, you know, once again, you can buy 11 grand worth of that, exercise it, have the shares. And it's less risk than having 100 shares of it. So that's just one way that I like to do that. Because, you know, you could buy a $20 leap at like 280 for next year. You could buy less, but in the money and you have no premium burn, really. So that, those are just pretty much the only two ways I would think about playing that. At maybe some short term, like Thursday, Friday. But longer term, like I, I don't put a lot of money in things that have one week expiration. Well, thanks, everyone, for popping in here. I, this is the first time we've done like a hybrid between the podcast and to throw people on here for questions live. I think we'll probably start doing this every time. I think this is the most fun thing we've done. I know you wanted to touch on crypto. You know, Bitcoin's absolutely going through the roof right now. I think it was around 60K prior to this recording starting. I know that we sat down. We're going to be bringing on one of our buddies, Craig Crypto, in the upcoming episodes. He was phenomenal. We sat down for like six hours yesterday, and he was just blowing our mind. And I know you wanted to touch on Ethereum as your favorite. Yeah, I just want to start by saying, like, this is not the first time we're talking about crypto. Besides the fact that I've been in crypto since like 2016, 17, we talked about Bitcoin, we pounded it on the pot at 10,000. And we talked about Ethereum and we pounded that on the pot at like 380. So I think that like, you know, now they're all five, 600% higher. This is not one of those things that I am wanting to trim at all. I actually am going to take some money out of my fund to buy more Ethereum for myself. There's two different distinctions between Ethereum and Bitcoin in terms of like the appeal, right? Like Bitcoin mm-hmm. is because... We don't know who Satoshi is. We know it's as decentralized as it's going to get, right? Like it's almost incompromisable as a result of the like anonymity for not just the creation, but knowing there's a finite supply, the proof of stake aspect of it. But Ethereum is going to be used in everything we do. Like you're going to medical records to deeds to everything. Like you will use Ethereum. We talked about this on the pod. And now with NFTs, it's just showing you the first stages that can like get people excited about it. Like, mm. If you don't think people's art is worth 70 million, doesn't matter. It's worth 70 million. That's what it got sold for. 
And if you don't think the next time it sells for a hundred plus, then you don't like, that's the market. That's the world we live in. There's no difference than a Beeple than a Mona Lisa. None, mm-hmm. not a single one. So to me, I think that this is just like, you're saying NFTs is a bubble. It's a hype. It's a crazy. No, it's a new paradigm and you better get on board or get left behind. And I think that, yeah, things are getting really, really expensive and crazy now. Am I going to buy a crypto punk? Shit, like maybe still. I know, like it's like it's it's like I don't want to. I know things like have crypto gone up kitty. So much. Right. Like, I mean, crypto. I can say whatever I want about. So like, I'll be much more loose than than stocks. It's like I just don't give a shit. I think that this is actually like if you look at Bitcoin taking seventy percent of the value of silver. Right. Bitcoin's about a trillion market cap. Silver is one point five trillion. If you think that there's still a battle to be had, it's like it's over. The institutions are buying it. Bitcoin's already there, and so it's not going anywhere. I just want to harp to the people who are disbelievers in it. This is going to kill your banks. End of the mm. story. End of the discussion. And it's already, you will see this. It's happening, man. It's going to happen nonstop. Everything we'll do in the future will have to do with Ethereum bits on the blockchain. Like this is all going to happen. And if they can do that proof, they can change in 2023 to this like proof of stake and work concept, mm-hmm. then Ethereum is the most undervalued crypto out there because it should be worth at least as much as Bitcoin if they have a cap on the number of coins, or if they start doing the fee burning mechanism for transactions that burns coins as you use them. To me, like, it's just the start. Mm-hmm. We are in first inning of the first pitch of the rest of our lives. Yeah, and we'll be touching on NFTs a lot more, I think, here in the upcoming episodes. It's fascinating to me that someone will buy a YouTube clip effectively for a basketball, you know, layup that's $70,000, you know. But as I dig into it more and more, I get the conceptualization of what this is, and, and it is truly fascinating. So can't wait to talk more about this. Something that we've been talking about more and more is just like this incredible community we've been involved with, right? And we want to be able to, to give back. A few years back, you did Trading for Good, I believe was the name of it. Trade, trade to change. Trade yeah, to change. Trade so we'll probably be introducing some ways to be more philanthropic and to give back and maybe build some schools or start educating people that are not as fortunate as us. So we're excited to get more involved and plant the seed there. Tony, as always, give us a little bit of knowledge here for, for the week ahead. Yeah, man. And I, I'm excited to do some philanthropic stuff. I actually like I looked back at my old blog where I like I did a bunch of Kiva projects and like loaning out people because, you know, statistically, it actually makes people do better if you loan money at zero rates or whatever with the potential for them to default versus like just giving to charity. There is mm-hmm. a difference in the actual outcomes and one's better than the other, which is why I do it that way. Um, <clears throat> the nice thing is like you can keep they can keep the money if like they already completed and you're like, here you go. So, of course, I'm excited to do that. But I think the main thing that I just like, I keep going back to in this market is that like, you really are where you are. And it's like, I keep trying to think of, man, I was just back at my highs, but then like six months ago I was here mm-hmm. and like zoom out three weeks and we were just there. And it's just like, it's, it's mind numbing. If you don't just think like long-term trend up, right? Like you might think like, I am up a hey, I'm down. I'm down. I'm still down a good bit for my highs. Um, still way up on the year, but still down for my high. So that psychologically, you want to chase to get back to that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you go from 100K to 200 to 300 to 200, your goal is like, shit, I was just at 300. That's where I was. No, you're, you're, you are at 200 right now. This is easier said than actually understood or done. I don't mm-hmm. even like have this ability to be this way yet. And I'm working on it. But you really need to start understanding that like chasing to get back to, you know, if you're at 100, try to get back to three is such a bad idea you know just do what you're doing if you got there in the first place 
the market will give you opportunities to get there again and get mm-hmm. there higher. And so you just got to be patient and wait. You know, if you're not even taking money out of the account, why do you even care if it's down? Like if you know that yeah. you're going to be in here for three, six more months, at least trading or a year or six years, then all you have to think about is, hey, like when I ca- when I cash out, which you don't know when it is going to be, just like say it's five, 10 years or whatever. If I went to bed right now, I was in a coma, what would my portfolio be the best situation to be in mm-hmm. from this price right here? Not from my oh, I wish I was back at 300K. Oh, I wish I was back at 400K or whatever. Like you are where you are. And mm-hmm. there are opportunities because the NASDAQ's down a good bit. But also what if it goes lower? It's just, you got to think about the you are where you are thing. It's like, I turned into much riskier towards the bottom now because I was confident I had the bottom. Like mm-hmm. had I not caught the bottom, it would have been a tough month. But when you catch stuff like that, then you reallocate and say, hey, I don't need to be as risky anymore, right? I made that big jump alpha on the initial snap. So now I'm going to start going back to the bonsai, right? I'm buying the smaller stuff that can give me those, the NAV or the cash equivalents because having the optionality is key. It's like mm-hmm. you are where you are, but if you can't move, you're staying right there. And if you're trending down, you're going lower. So with that being said, folks, even though you are where you are, make sure you realize things that can get you to where you want to go. And we'll be back next week. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex, I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves.